Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send him! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to an edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham, and joining me, as always, uh, stuck uh, to track side at the Red Bull ring, it's uh, Luke. Oh, shit. The, oh, damn it. I've blown my own intro. It's, it's like the Norch life. Damn it. Oh, it's Luke Holmes. <laughs> I was wondering what he was on about going for the Red Bull ring. Do you know why the Red Bull ring is on my mind? Because I've, I've I watched Frecker this weekend at uh, the Red oh Bull. Oh my ring. god, it was an action! Oh my days! It was, yeah. Well, yeah, action is a is a loose term. Uh, but <laughs> well, like the three camera angles you got. Yeah. Well, that yeah, but it again with, with Frecker, it's just you're just looking for can the top guys qualify well because you haven't got really a hope of overtaking much it's which i don't get i don't get how you haven't got a chance of overtaking does it not have push to pass there is push to pass but i guess like everyone has it don't stop it in indycar true or is it that because it's an actual legit series that actually works properly and Frecker isn't run by idiots. Uh, IndyCar isn't run by idiots. Possibly. I, I couldn't tell you. It's hard to pinpoint why the action, the on-track action at Frecker is as difficult as it is. But I Are get... they not getting a new car? What F2 is? I don't know if they're get... I, I haven't heard if they're getting a new car. We'll talk about the new F2 car coming up. But yeah, I think it's just F2 that's getting a new car next year. Because I haven't seen anything for F3. F3's no, car is a, a little newer, I think, than... I think it's F2 2019. Yeah, F two is I think twenty eighteen is the last major. Yeah, change. maybe F three gets only one next year then. So we'll have to see. We'll see on the back of it. But what I was actually trying to refer to was that obviously the the uh, there were some the likes of Vettel and oh DC uh, David Coulthard was in action. Not at, well, not action, but they were driving some older Red Bull cars around Norch Life, and I think one of them had to go back on the uh, on a loader because I think it broke down somewhere. <laughs> Love that Renault reliability. Yep, yep, top tier stuff. In, in the mud again. <laughs> Do even you subconsciously. They they always had a little reliability problems, even like in the V the V eight era. Like it's arguably why the title went on as long as it did in twenty ten. Yeah, because was it? Did it didn't Vettel, well, Vettel had a few failures, not to mention of course at twenty twelve he had one at Valencia, but yeah, it was not they were they were quick, but not always the most reliable things in the world. That those uh, those early Red Bulls was. Which is also what made the Daniel Ricciardo move to Renault factory team even more bizarre, considering how many times he dumped in the season prior because of the Renault engines blowing up. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But look, sometimes you don't read the they don't don't read the lay of the land as well as you might think, and just ask Fernando Alonso about how that goes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always going well. Yep, this is the first year it's actually gone decently well. Well, you could say there was some cracks forming, but... Mm, yes, <laughs> very good. <laughs> no? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Not bad. My crack will uh, be happy, and he'll be happy for another reason as well, because the effort... Oh, how's that for a segue? FI ban Lance Stroll? Uh, yes. If only. Mm. If only. <laughs> if Sky Sports could ban him from their... Uh, their uh, their TV channel is having to watch him uh, five thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, the content I need in my life is Lance Stroll skiing, 
with uh, Ted Kravitz. Yes, thank you very much for that. Mm. But uh, Mike Crack will be happy, as will all other 19 principals, because the FIA confirmed during the week that all 10 F1 teams did comply with the 2022 cost cap. So, yeah, that's... Well done, uh, Twitter. Yeah, well done, Twitter. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Yeah, the... Uh, Maybe maybe the reporting just want like maybe these rumors want to have some teams sweat a little, but no, uh, everyone came under the cap. The FIA says in their statement, uh, the the about this process itself. The review is an intensive and thorough process, beginning with a detailed analysis of the documentation submitted by the competitors. Additionally, there have been an extensive check of any non F one activities undertaken by the teams, which comprise multiple on site visits to team facilities and careful auditing procedures to assess compliance with the financial regulations. The FIA cost cap administration notes that all competitors acted at all times in the spirit of good faith and cooperation throughout the process. So. FI also added it has made and will continue to make significant investments in this department for the collective benefit of the sport. So, yeah, I'm I'm ultimately surprised that everyone came in under the cap. I expected someone, and we expected maybe a few teams to go over it, but fair play, I have to say. Like, I didn't expect in the second year of it that everyone would come in. And it's just going to be a non-story this year. Everyone seems to come in nice and smooth. Yeah, I just don't get how. Because Mercedes continuously developed the entire year. Um, you had Aston Martin revival. You have Ferrari being Ferrari, having a good cause. I was like, surely they're going to have over overspent. And then I just assumed someone would have, like, small miscalculation here and would have got it wrong. But fair play, you've actually smashed it. So, what this is like, a legit championship last year for Max, no? There is no more, none of that bullshit of that Twitter was trying to swindle where Max isn't a legit champion. Well, fuck yourselves now because he actually <laughs> is, even though he was anyway. Yeah. the And this is with the cost cap being 5 million less than it was, yes. uh, than it was the previous year for 2021. Yeah. Is that 100? I, I, I don't get how teams have done it. $145 million was in 2021, $140 million for 2022, and that's going down to $135 million. Uh, this is before any adjustments, possibly, uh, for 2023. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Because like, a, a $10 million decrease over two years is, is no insignificant figure. Mm. But, um, it really isn't. I have to say, fair play to the FIA, though, for making this uh, this process a little bit... Uh, I seem like, it seemed like it was a lot more streamlined this year than it was last year. They didn't say they had, they had 10 people working on this instead of the four that uh, took place last year. You should have a one person per team. That's the simple way to do it, no? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah, that's the way I would have done it, personally. One person per team, and then you have everybody checks each other's afterwards. Easy, easy way of doing it. Mm. So... Yeah, after so fair play. Like this process is now earlier this year because it was a few. What was it after? Was it just after Singapore or a few weeks after Singapore? It was just after. There was rumblings in Singapore that Red Bull had broke it, mm-hmm. and then it was a confirmed post-title race uh, finish in Japan last year. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, we had the title wrapped in Japan, didn't we? Jesus. Yeah, that's right. In a very weird circumstance as well. 
with the whole safety, uh, the whole four points wet weather thing. But yeah, so like, so it's this process has been much improved, and I have no doubt they will continue to be improved uh, as seasons go on. And it might not, that that may not necessarily mean that it's announced earlier. Although I think that would be helpful. I just don't think that's entirely possible given how much is actually involved in all this. Well, bearing in mind the financial year finishes in April, so to get them done by September isn't exactly the the worst thing. So, it, yeah, I'd say the first week in September is always good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, with that, there's actually nothing else to say about it, really, for now, unless anything else Yay. comes up. But, yeah, this is a, a surprisingly... Uh, I was almost surprised how I was like, oh, that's it. Like, it's no, no I one's... I thought it was nailed the, on. Yeah, just like, like no one's over the cap, and that's it. We can we all just go about our lives. Yeah, which is a shame, because I like the drama, but also I'm glad that there is no tea to spill at the same time. If, see, if it was anyone other than Red Bull, I think it would be interesting. But it would just with funny. Red Bull, it would just be so toxic, like again. Yeah. And it's just not needed at the moment. So, anyway. So, what makes you say that? <laughs> well, you know, a certain. You're not got. Certain, Marco certain, throwing random shades at people for no reason. Well, yeah, I actually wasn't going to mention that really at all, but uh, the whole Sergio Perez comments thing because it's just. Yeah. It's just needless. It's just needless, and it's just classic Marco to just run in his mouth and just being just oblivious Idiot. and stupid. Yeah. Mm. So like, yeah, that was that was silly. I did find amusement though from uh, comments from Toto Wolf about how there's an article on RaceFans.net. I linked this to you, or I sent you a, a part from it, uh, written by Keith Collins. Basically, uh, Toto Wolf basically saying that F1 changed the rules to stop Mercedes in 2021, but they're not going to cry wolf or cry sorry cry foul now. Um, which is funny for a few reasons. Uh, if he thinks, for the, the the thing with the 2021, the floor changes was supposedly done because the tires wouldn't be able to hold the load after the record-breaking 2020 season. So if you want to bring Pirelli on that, go for it. If you want, but again, always comes back to Pirelli. Yeah. So there was that. Um, you had the, the 2021 was actually the season that the, the low, the uh, high rake actually favoured, given that. I remember being so frustrated with Red Bull like all the years up to it. It's like, stop using high rake. It doesn't work. Mercedes are showing it just doesn't work. So it actually was the one year it actually had a benefit. So well done. Uh, also, if he thinks that, if he, wa- if he wants to talk about FIA changing rules to slow cars down, uh, you might want to have a chat with uh, Jean-Ton and Ross Braun from Ferrari. And if you want to look into to the 2005 rule changes, and they were 10 times more egregious than... 2021's was for the floors and there was only you can also talk to himself about last year but you know yeah and the whole thing about crying foul like that's what in the entirety of what he did all last year to get the uh, technical directive with the, with the the cars bouncing and the porpoising and not only destroyed not only put everyone else further from uh not only did they not solve their own issues because it ended up they had a concept in heather their concept was inherently flawed but uh, put everyone else that was closer, or at least away from them, away from Red Bull. So, you know. Yeah, thank you for that. So that was uh, that was fantastic stuff. So, yeah, just uh, just uh, just absolute just nonsense from Total Wolf. Yeah, he occasionally comes out with some correct stuff, but that ninety five percent of the time it is complete utter shite. Yeah, it's just uh, it's and just pure pure heaven. Just just nonsense, just absolute nonsense stuff. But anyway, uh, well. There's more rule changes on the way, though, because uh, there were some comments after the Italian Grand Prix about how some drivers are talking about how the cars 
were becoming to become like 2020 and 2021 in terms of how difficult it was to follow. Uh, Carlos Sainz was the one in particular that talked about that, mentioned that. George Russell, I think, recently talked about it as well. And the FA are going to be making changes for the 2025 season because it's too late now to do anything for the 2024 season. So I'm going to read from Jonathan Noble and Motorsport.com. Uh, the headline is F1I's 2025 rules tweak to combat 50% drop in key aero metric. So this is where we're going to read from this. And this is going to have quotes from uh, FI single seat director Nicholas Tombasis uh, about it. So the, the exclusive interview with uh, motorsports.com's Italian edition, the FI single seat director Nicholas Tombasis has revealed just how significant the drop in air performance has been. And this is what uh, Tom Bassett had to say. Had to say, if we take the 2021 F1 cars based on being two lengths from the car in front, they were losing more than 50% of the aero load. With the 2022 single seaters, there was only a 20% reduction in load. But now we are about a 35%. Surely there has been a worsening. And on this point, Carlos is right. We have identified what we should act on. So that's that's the first part of it. Noble then continues to write, with the teams are already having committed a lot of resources towards next year's cars, it felt unfair to the, for the FIA to try and push through any changes for 2024, especially that this would be fairly futile because competitors would resist such efforts. Instead, Tombatis says that a proper solution will be worked on in plenty of time for 2025 to help address matters and improve the aero characteristics. And Tombatis went on to say, we're studying solutions for 2025. We've identified some parts of the cars to act on, such as the end plate of the front wing, the side of the floor and the fins inside the wheels around the brake ducts. We could lay down somewhat more restrictive rules in these areas. It is clear we no longer have the advantage of 2022 and therefore we know that there is work to be done. And then uh, John Noble continues to write, the reduction in the ability to cast a follow each other is the result of teams having pushed hard to develop designs that increase outwash, which force airflow away from the cars and the tyres. And, and, uh, from the car and the tyres. It is this outwash effect that hampers the ability of cars to follow each other closely as the air that generates downforce is thrown clear. One area where teams have been pushing to increase the outwash effect is on the front wing, with Ferrari having led the way in exploiting a rule change to run slot gap separators that divert airflow away from the car. Because we talked about this actually, uh, it's something we talked about, because Mercedes kind of had this front wing last year at Cota never ran it in a proper uh, qualifying or race session and then ferrari came back then with this uh, little loophole for 2023 and the kind of we've gone from there with that remember we talked about that earlier on um yep. just to finish then uh Tombasa said there are aspects of the current car developments that were not helping with the racing aspect but believe this was not something the fia could interfere with and Tombatis said, we have the right to act on flexible bodywork when we see something that does not convince us because the regulation says a part should be rigidly secured and immobile. In reality, we know that this is not strictly possible, so there is a right to apply common sense. The regulations do not allow us to act on things we do not like on the cars. There are several aspects in the interpretation of the aerodynamic regulations that we do not like at the moment, but to change something, we would need to go through the procedures to achieve a broad consensus. Sometimes we have tried to change things, we have not always achieved the result we wanted. I believe that 90% of the regulations are in line with what we wanted, and there's 10% that with, that, with in hindsight, we'd have done a different way. Hmm. Um, basically, like, look, this all comes from teams and like, a natural development of the cars, and obviously you can't, because you can't make gains with powertrain for now, obviously the only way you can really... With the regulations being as young as they are, you're obviously going to make more, you're going to 
the further you get in the development of these cars, the more and more downforce goes on the car. And just an inherent rule of physics, when you have more downforce on a car, it becomes more difficult to follow uh, for the car behind. Yep. However, I think, th- and this may sound simple, but I think something I think you could do to help uh, with this problem is you could have a lot more simplistic body uh, parts like the, the front wing and the such and have your downforce generated through another means. Off the top of your head, what do you think the greatest other way to produce downforce that isn't part of the car comes from? Um, I wouldn't overthink it. I don't know. We talk about them often. Do we? Mm. And their shitness. Oh, the tyres. It's the tyres. You think back to the early 2000s and mid-2000s with those cars, and you look at the the wings, the rear wing, the front wing, they're not exactly I don't, sexy or especially well-refined, but what helps give them as much a bite in corners was the fact that the tyres, I think, were so... were produced in a way to really give a lot of grip and sustained yeah. grip and obviously with the rules in place at the time you obviously would change your tires if you needed whether well, you can obviously come into them for a fuel stop as well uh, you know it was you weren't running a, a set all the way to the end uh, with the exception of 2005 but with and again to be fair to pirelli the the product they are asked to make is it it's too much like you you want to be it's I guess it wants to be a friend to everyone, but ends up being a friend to nobody. That's always the case with Pirelli. Yeah. So, like, I think the product they make is insufficient, but I think, to be fair to them in the same vein, it's they're asked to do a lot of different things. They want tyres that last, but don't go off too quickly. They want tyres that, uh, you know, they want significant steps between the compounds. They There's a lot, there's a lot going on that is difficult to always fulfil, but at the same time, they've been out long enough at this stage that, you know, it, they should have a decent handle on it. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on, is this the right direction to go for F1 to strip some of these uh, these regulations or tighten these regulations a bit on certain uh, areas of the car to reduce the downforce that we have, I guess, we have what these regulations were. We go, can't go back to what these regulations were intended to do, which is create uh, closer following action. Well, yeah, that's the aim, isn't it, in the long term for everything. So I would definitely be doing that, but I would do it in a certain way because you don't want to rub people the wrong way by making these, I think, amazing cars go backwards because that's basically what they did in uh, at the start of 2022 when it all just went, we lost a lot of the speed that we had from the previous year and I always reveled in watching the 2021 cars on rails. There were some amazing things to watch some of the corners they could take flat out even the, the 2020 cars are even better but it's just a shame that this is it's coming to that already only two years into this um generation of car that we're having to sort of think things aren't really working again because we haven't been tight on the rules from the start really um but it needs to be done because the whole flexi wing thing is not really ideal it's always been a thing in the past so why has it not been sort of monitored properly in the first place and tested to the extreme in racing conditions I, I don't know why they haven't done this but 
and to sort of clamp down on it when the championship's basically already done, what's, what's the fucking point? My thought on this whole is it's one is to go one step backward to go two steps forward would be yeah. how I describe it. And the with your point of the 2021 cars in that era, they were fantastic cars in terms of what they could do, but they were fundamentally flawed. They were a mistake. They're wonders in terms of what they could do, but for racing action, they were very much flawed. And they had, I feel like they, I don't really disagree. Like they had to, the cars had to change. Like it was, that was, that was necessary. Like the 22 changes were absolutely necessary. It is disappointing, as you say, that we're not a year and a half into those changes and we need, we're already talking about having to tighten things up. Uh, yeah, so that's that's frustrating. But look, I think ultimately the right step is being taken. It's going to be interesting between the changes for 25 and then obviously you've got the new engine for 2026. You know, there's going to be a lot. The landscape could easily shift, uh, could shift dramatically in, in between those two years. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, who gets it right and who gets it wrong. Yeah, basically. I just It's just a shame. But, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of tyres, there's a very interesting piece that came out, actually, it was actually written the day we record this, on September 10th, uh, from Adam Cooper of motorsport.com. And the, it's about the unexpected factor in F1's tyre tender decision. So obviously we know that, obviously, F1 and the FIA invited, obviously, a, a tender process for the, for the supply of tyres for 2025 to 2028. And we know that it's between Bridgestone and Pirelli. And... Yeah. The general consensus is that Pirelli is ahead, and yeah. we've known that for a bit, but there's a very interesting wrinkle to all this that I did see on Twitter as well, and now obviously when you see it here in written form from motorsport.com, you kind of, there's, a, there's some credence to it. So I'm going to read from this, and we're going to talk about some interesting aspects of this whole tender process for not just not just 2028, but even for 29 and, uh, and beyond. So I'm going to read from this. While F1 awaits official confirmation, Pirelli remains a favourite to beat Bridgestone to the contract, with many in Paddock Insiders suggesting that the deal is now a formality and assuming that as time drags on, a change becomes less likely. The twist is that sources suggest that a strategic withdrawal from F1 by the Italian company when that next term ends is a possible scenario, one that would leave the sport looking for a new tyre partner for 2029 and beyond. So straight away, mm. if you know that you've a provider that's going to pull out in the next five years, then I would personally, I would think, well, if that's the case, maybe we're better off giving to it to the one that is likely to stick around in Bridgestone. Yeah. So that would certainly throw a, a spanner in the works uh, to, to, to do. The next step of uh, was the commercial discussion uh, is after the tender process. The next step was, was the commercial discussion with Stefano Domenicali and the F1 organization. That has now dragged on for months as the two companies have in effect been playing, have played off, been played off against each other in a bidding war. Indeed, the early stages, the word was that Bridgestone's financial proposal was too good for F1 to walk away from. Domenicali can't be faulted for trying to squeeze as much out of the sole tyre supplier as he can, as it's his job to maximise revenue for the teams and for his bosses at Liberty Media. It's not, just, it's not just about the headline fee, but details like how many races will receive title sponsorship, how much signage is placed around the tracks, and even how many guest passes, passes are issued to the tyre supplier. The discussions that have been made have the discussions have been made more complex by the fact that F2 and F3 are also part of the deal and by the addition of an important sustainability element that wasn't part of previous tenders. 
The debate has been further complicated by the strong suggestion that should Pirelli win this tender, it will be its last go-around. In other words, having been the tyre supplier for 18 years, from 20, 2011 to 2028, it would walk away from F1 with little more to achieve in terms of it building its brand. If that is indeed Pirelli's plan, the challenge for Dominicali is what happens for the next tender period that commences in 2029. If Pirelli wins this time and Bridgestone decides to try again in four years, and there is no competition, then the commercial discussions will be very different. It will be a buyer's market and F1 won't be able to squeeze a Japanese company as hard as it was, was able to this time around. On the other hand, it could be that knowing that incumbent, incumbent, uh, the incumbent, that incumbent Pirelli is going and then and thus the F1 deal is definitely up for grabs, which might encourage others such as Michelin or Hankook to join the fight, which will ramp up the price. The nightmare scenario for Dominicali is that there are no bidders at all for the 2029 tender, and fear of that scenario would be one reason to switch to Bridgestone sooner rather than later. It's easy to suggest that the best compromise is that as a result of the current discussions Pirelli gets for the upcoming deal, and Bridgestone's given the nod for 2029 and beyond, a bit like the IOC uh, it's naming the next two Olympic host cities, or FIFA choosing the two World Cup hosting countries at the same time. That would give Bridgestone plenty of time to get his act together and give F1 long-term income guarantees and the knowledge that a supplier is in place to follow Pirelli. However, that's not how the FI attendant process works. So however, so however convenient, such an arrangement isn't possible. The commercial side isn't the only consideration for Dominicali as he's taken into account on-track impact of introducing a new tyre supplier. In recent weeks, there have been contrasting views up and down the paddock about which way F1 should go. Some believe that it's time for a change and to give company, a company other than Pirelli a chance. Uh, so there's a strong feeling that should it win the deal, Bridgestone would face a huge challenge in having to first create tyres for the current cars to use in 2025, while also designing something completely different for the new technical regulations, like regulations that come to force in 2026, when teams will have a lot on their plates. That in turn, so it goes on to talk about kind of the, the limited testing time as well for this kind of thing as well. So... Uh, there's, there's some quotes from some team bosses about uh, the difficulties of a, the timeline and the time frame uh, to do that. But what's your thought on all that? I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to take in there from the commercial side of it, the on track side of it, the dynamic that you you if you know that they're going, do you stick it out and give Bridgestone time, or how would you how do you see this whole scenario that has I guess maybe in a sense unexpectedly cropped up in the sense that this this idea that Pirelli may be kept on, but they know that they're going after that. It's not a long tender; it's only for three for three seasons. I view it of well, if they're going to get kept on, then why not just keep them on permanently? Rather, if they if you can convince them to stay longer than three years and just keep stability, because as much as we may slander them. They do have a tough job to try and get everything balanced out in the way that F1 wants it. Um, but if you know they're going, then why give them a new deal? Mm. I don't understand that. But if you're gonna, if they are going, then I would commit to Bridgestone early so they can get the development in early, or whoever decides to take all the bid. Which I don't think will be Michelin or Hankook personally. I think they're just not quite on the same level as what Bridgestone is in terms of um, what they can offer to the sport. I, I just, I, I don't know, it, the tire, the whole tyre situation itself is just a, a, a risky situation because if we end up losing out and end up with someone like to a fucking 
Toyo tires or someone really like a minor <laughs> company compared to what we've got now, it would be a massive downgrade because I don't think they'd be able to cope with the demand that F1 offers. I can understand Domenicali trying to maximise the deal for Liberty Media and maximise the deal for the sport on itself. Obviously, him and his position is going to do that regardless. Mm. It's in his best interest for his own job. Tritelson is going to get fired at the end of the day. But it's got to be the right one for the sport, regardless of what they decide. Me and you, I, I think, are both under the impression I think we need something new. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think the time is right in 2026 to do it as a complete new thing, new cars, or new engines, new new tyres. That would be what I would have aimed for to get this deal wrapped up by the end of this year so development could be started. But obviously that's a bit premature, I think. Um, I, I just want to see Bridgestone back. I, I, I don't know if I'm for tyre wars because it just, for me, is just silly. One manufacturer should be the tyre supply, as I've said in previous podcasts throughout the years. Whenever you've uh, broached, uh, approached that subject, it's always one I've sort of been against. It just you don't need the disadvantage for one side of the grid compared to the other. If something goes wrong, it's just, it's just silly in my eyes. But they need to get on it and get it committed before we end up in a mess where we're just sort of struggling for a tyre supplier and then we end up in an absolute shitstorm of trying to get one and then it all going wrong and we end up in a, a mess of not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I, I I definitely hear what you're saying. The I, the the tyre war thing, I guess, like it's like a handicap in the sense like, oh, we didn't win because the, the bridge stones are bare around yeah. here. Literally, that's as much as I would like the the differentiation um, in that. I just think it would just be continuous stream of PR. Oh, it's, Mil- it's a Michelin track. It doesn't matter. We've got no chance this weekend. Yeah. What's the point? I want something where it's a. Com- They're trying to make the grid closer to make racing better. Why would we change the tyres to make the racing worse? If you know what I mean, it just makes no sense. Obviously, that wasn't really mentioned in that whole thing, but mm. it's something worth mentioning at the same time because obviously it's going to be a topic of why don't we go back to this and all that. My overall thought on this is if you if you really if you really know that Pirelli are going to up and leave for twenty twenty nine and beyond, then yeah, it it doesn't make much sense to keep them on. Why not get Bridgestone better than now? And yeah, it, it's possible that there could be some 2025 could be rough in terms of figuring out the tires. Okay, uh, that that could be a ch- that that would be a challenge for them to get tires ready for 2025. Uh, it would be a it'd be a difficult one to string together. But I'd it'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting dynamic. And then we, I'm sure we would be slandering Bridgestone for this, but probably, probably. But yeah, I just feel like if. You have an indication that Bridgestone, yeah, because there's no, the thing is, with 20, there's no, A, there's no, okay, two sides to this. A, there's no side, there's no guarantee, of course, Pirelli up and leave at 2029 if they do win this one. Uh, Things change. B, there's no, but there's also no guarantee of Bridgestone coming back. There's no guarantee of, you know, the, 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 another tire bidding war between Hankook or Michelin or Bridgestone. You just don't know. What you do know now is that you've squeezed enough of a price out of, both companies that they'd be happy to pay why not i don't know like you've you've got that in front of you now if you think this if you take if you believe that this 
Pirelli pulling out thing after this next tender is a legitimate thing, then I I I'm of the opinion like get then start now like what's what's the, what's the point like there's like it was very, it's, it reminds me very much of uh, oh shoot what's his name damn it um, oh Andreas Seidel that's that's the one um, with the the Audi and McLaren thing they knew he wanted to go he said he wanted to go. There's no point having him hang around for until 2025, and then he leaves for 2026. Just if you know that's where he wants to go, and that's where he's got the offer, then go let him go. Just go now. Oh, At boy. least then you can. You've like we've seen McLaren life after Stella has been. Well, it started off rocky, of course, but that was or sorry after Seidel was rocky. Uh, was rocky at the start, but that wasn't uh, his fault. That wasn't well, Andre. It, was, it, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't Andrea Stella's fault. But now, like you know. Andreas Seidel is not missed, I would say, arguably. And McLaren are very Maybe. excited about what they have going on now. They love Andreas. They, they've, they've got great hirings in. They've got this new technical leadership now. They've got two great drivers. They've, you know, they're in such a much better position now than last year. But like, there's no point of continuing that relationship, even though it's going to end. And I argue this probably thing is a similar of a similar vein. Yeah. So that's my thought. Anyway, uh, we'll see how that unfolds because I suspect. We may hear a bit more about it as uh, as we go on. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about before I move on to F two? Um, Could we IndyCar come after? Actually, do you want to talk about IndyCar after F two? Yes, and then we can we can look. Yeah, we will tie in Andretti and all IndyCar stuff from there. Uh, F two, right? A couple of things to know, uh, to talk about here. Obviously, the big news for them was that they unveiled their new F two car for next year. And I have to say, looking at it, it's quite striking, especially at the rear of the car. Yes. So there's a lot of things they want. Obviously, they want to make it a junior version, obviously, of the 2022 regs, which, of course, it wasn't at this point. So more simplified features like the sides, the front wing, obviously, the rear wing. These are all been streamlined, wang. wang. These have all been streamlined to... Uh, to obviously follow the regulations that F1 set last year. Now, there's been a couple of things they want to focus on. Obviously, let's let's talk about the rear wing first. Uh, it's obviously it's if you've seen the images, if I recommend looking at it, it's it's very striking. It's it's very prevalent on the car, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. It's like saying to a friend, "Why you have? Why do you have a mullet?" It's <laughs> it's one of those. It's. Uh... Very in your face. Hmm. So, what they said about this? Uh, let me let me find this man's name and who helped develop this car. Uh, ah, his name's Goss. I can't I can't find his first name here. Uh, Tim Goss, FIA's technical director, works 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 across all categories. Uh, he said that uh, top of the F one, the twenty twenty two F one car. Uh, and he said that was a lot. That was through a lot of attention to detail on two things: the shape of the wake that generated from the back of the F1 car, but also how the front of the F1 car deals with disturbed flow. What we took as a starting point for the F2 car was the FIA had developed an F1 baseline. The actual code name of the car was Uniform. I don't know, I don't know what that is. Uh, and we morphed that into a Formula Two size car with F2 size tires, etc. Then what we had to do was, as we couldn't take that as the car to take forward, we had to respect the performance figures that we're aiming for in F2, and also the fact that we had to take complexity out of the car and try and keep the cost down. That was, that was a general overview. overview. What we were looking for was, this, was the given size of DRS delta, so you need to make sure that you've got enough authority. It's easier to turn DRS down. 
you can do that with zone lengths and the number of zones, things like that. But you also have to make sure that you have enough authority. To be honest, one of the biggest challenges with the rear of the car and the rear wing was putting an F1-style rear wing on with the rolled edges, which are good for the wake performance whilst being mindful of the cost and simplicity in the real world. So that's what Dallara have come up with. Um, it's all. It's, wow. I guess it's it's good to know that this this could like this rear wing could be an element that F1 follows depending how this works. And I'd say this rear wing is quite important for the future of F1 as well. Yeah, because it basically points the air up and over the car rather than into the following car. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm trying to get up. If you don't know what I'm getting, I just literally Google a picture of the 2020 year for F2 car, and you will literally see what we mean. It is. It's like wearing a cap backwards. It's it's really strange. Hmm. Uh, there are some pur- porpoising concerns, which the FIA have brushed off. They're optimistic that there won't be any porpoising issues because they worked alongside the FIA with def- for the definition of the car. Uh, that's what DDA Perrin said about it. So there is, uh, at the end of this motorsport.com article, uh, there is... Uh, if it says the FIA hopes that the lessons about what is to produce good racing cars can follow through with its new F3 car that is coming for 2025. There we go. So, yeah, there you go. Answer the question we didn't, uh, we asked, asked earlier. The other key aim of this car they wanted to make was that they wanted to make it easier to drive so that all people could have a better way to drive it. And so this is a there's a push for that anyone of any gender can drive this car because uh, the physicality required to drive an F2 car uh, just, yeah, there's obviously, it's obviously a lot. And any female driver that, well, actually, the only, only female driver that has driven an F2 uh, being Tatiana Calderon, uh, just the performance just wasn't there. And she has been at the heart of developing this new F2 car and its drivability. And she there's a there's a video on this in F1's YouTube channel where she talks about it. But she talked about how she would love to be able to drive this car. So it seems like they have made quite a few strides with uh, oh, no. being able to uh, to drive uh, for uh, for women to be able to drive this car. That doesn't mean I want to see her on the grid for 2024. <laughs> uh, Sophia, fair enough, but not Tatiana. <laughs> Please no. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Calderon's work. I think there are other drivers. I think that are uh, yeah, no, a lot uh, more impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not actually. Already uh, done in India next to you, but <laughs> this is what uh, F2 CEO Bruno Michel had to say about on the subject. He said an extremely key aspect of the development was to make sure that this car and the effort requested by this car, uh, whether it's steering or brake efforts, are available to any kind of drivers. Uh, it's something that we put a massive emphasis on together with the FIA. It's a very important part of this car. And so, yeah, so I, I recommend watching that video on on YouTube as well. There's comments from Calderon about it. But, yeah, so there's a, a key push for uh, that this car is drivable for for everyone. And I imagine the same heart of things will be for F3 as well next year. So I'm interested to see what comes of that because I think... F2, I'm, I'm arguably they should start with F3 first, but because uh, there's a lot more drivers, I think, that are female drivers, I think, are ready to make the jump to F3 than I'd say F2. But um, I think the best among them is probably Maya Vogue from Freca, who is Ferrari, uh, part of the Ferrari Academy. So oh. I I think she's got a good turn of speed. Didn't get 
sadly didn't really show it at the at, uh, at Austria this uh, the weekend just gone, but she looked very competitive in Paul Ricard. Uh, she's got she's got some good turn of pace. Um, she can get, she couldn't get qualifying right, but so, so is Juju Neda. <laughs> the uh, when she's got a weight advantage, yeah. <laughs> we'll um, get onto that later. Yeah, I haven't been following that storyline. So, but yeah, we'll see what happens to the F F two stuff. Um, look, the fact that it's been tested by Calderon and she's saying the things that she's saying, I think, is encouraging that. Yeah, of course. When we get, I think, a driver that is deserving of an F two drive. Uh, and with all, with the greatest respect, I don't think Calderon is, but that's just my opinion. No, that's not my point. Of mm. uh, I've again, if you want, if you want to quiz me for someone, I think who would be. Uh, actually, I think it's too soon because I want to see. Like again, you can't just throw someone from W Series or uh, or from uh, to do Freca or whatever straight to F two. And I, I'd even say Jamie Chadwick would need. I think would benefit from a season f3 need to go yeah i need to go a tough for yeah so when we do get a driver because it will happen eventually uh, when we do get a driver who uh, is talented enough for f2 i be- i think what they'll be given they have a much better chance to succeed whereas before that wasn't always the case yeah so it's been a key point of emphasis for this f2 car and i'm looking forward to seeing that when it comes to fruition because it, it undoubtedly will but um, I'd like to see. I, I, I think I'd like to see. I would like to see uh, at least Marta Garcia get a chance. Like, this is this is my problem with the the my the issue we talked about with the W series. Well, or not sorry, not W series. Sorry, F one Academy. That's why I meant. Um, yeah. Well, the thing I we, I mentioned at the time, and we mentioned we mentioned at the time, is what's the progression? Like, if you win F one Academy, then what? Like, so like Marta Garcia is going to win the F one Academy, then what? Like, I. Does she get an F3 seat? I want her to get an F3. I want to see what she, she can do. should be a guarantee. Do you know what I mean? should have a guarantee for it uh, with one team or with the team that wins the championship that it guarantees them at least a race or something like that. Yeah. So prove what they can do. I want to see, even though it, she'd be in the season before a new F3 car obviously comes in, but still, it's... Yeah, anyways, we'll, we'll see. But I'd like her to get a shot. So... Uh, yeah, there's a number of female drivers I'd like to see get a shot on F3, but anyway, we'll um, we'll see what happens. And when it happens for F2, it'll be I'm um, fascinated to see how how they adapt. Same with F1. Do you? Because yeah. it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Maybe not in maybe not in our generation, but twenty, thirty years down the line, there is surely going to be someone that is capable of jumping in that car. I'd argue it's easier for F one than it is F two, because there's no power steering in F two, surely. Is yeah, there not? is. There isn't so Whereas in F one there is, so you know But it's still coping with the the longevity of the races is more. Right, and the G forces uh, generated yeah. yeah, a higher much yeah. higher speed and downforce, yeah. Yeah, that is going to be a key test. But but like but I guess you can't like what you like you can't change the g forces like you can't change gravity Do you know I mean? like it's there's no such thing as gravity ground that's that's the effect that a car has going through a corner <laughs> it's just it's all part of god yeah yep yeah, thank you uh anti isaac newton i don't know what the <laughs> antithesis of uh isaac newton would be but anyway uh f2 right so f2 at monza uh this championship is basically a wrap you would think, right, at this point, if he blows it after this, I swear to God. 
it would be very <laughs> impressive of a of a bottle if Teo Porcher bottles this championship now. Yeah, um, especially with the talk of him being, well, I say the talk of him being in the in the involvement of the Sauber Sea. Uh, that's probably gone out the window in the last few days, but we'll get on to that. It, I, I don't see how anybody else comes back at this point to take it off him. All he has to do is finish in the points right twice. Not the lower points. Of the, not, he's got to like finish fifth and above. He's got, he's got a 30, 33 point lead. Uh, sorry, 34 point lead. At, sorry, no. He literally finish, finish the race then. Sorry, he's got a 24 point lead. Yeah, so if he gets the sprint race out of the way without getting taken out, he's basically done. All he's got to do is finish and hope Vesti doesn't win the race or whoever's in second in the championship. Essentially, like so, one good sprint race basically does does the job. If he can outscore, but actually, that's all he needs to do. So long as Vesti doesn't get pole, if he outscores Vesti by two points, oh, for God's sake! If he gets pole, if Vesti gets pole or Portia gets pole, no, Portia gets fucking pole. That would be the most anticlimactic. Both championships this year in F three and F two. He won't be able. No, he won't be able to because he needs if he. He need, basically he needs a twenty-seven point lead, twenty-six point lead, if you can count count back heading into the the feature race. Yeah. To do it, that's so pole of position course, would be yeah. a huge step towards it. But yeah, so that that's it. And the reason we're in this situation is that despite winning the sprint race, uh, Vesti got himself caught up in an accident with Roman Stanek heading into the Lesmo. Now, what did you make of that? Did you? I do. There obviously Stanek has obviously gone right across to defend. Vesti, would you like? Should Vesti has got a foot out? Should he have gone for the move? Uh, he did promise uh, to be aggressive. He needed to be. He was behind in the standings, and Porcher had already taken pole position. Uh, what was your read on that um, that incident that obviously ended Vesti's race? I think it was a bit of both. But Vesti should have been a bit more mindful. In fact, of it's early on in the race, like there's no point chucking it in the in the wall for and basically chucking the championship away. After one lap, like, it's just make any sense to me, but like you say, you've got to be aggressive. So, I would argue that it's 80% Stanek's fault, 20% Vesti. I, I get he's got to commit, but <laughs> against a driver of Stanek's nature who's in his first season, it's just not something I well, would it, do. Here's the thing Stanek is like, this is miles his best qualifying of the season. He's, he hasn't yeah. been in a situation like this in F2. So, He's going to defend that position for all his all his life, and he didn't exactly. have that's, that's my point. He didn't have the best of starts either, so I, I understand why he's chopped across like that. But it was wrong. It, like he he's, yeah. he's very much squeezed Vesti off, and Vesti is Vesti is definitely the agreed party here. There's no, it's not like there is no like this fault is majority. It's 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 Stanek's fault, and that's that's Vesti's been unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's one that had an absolute dire consequence, obviously, because Porcher didn't win the feature race, but got the P. He got he finished on the podium, uh, P three. He got he got a decent result in in the feature the sprint race as well. So he only lost about five points to Vesti in the sprint, but yeah, massive gain. So that's that's basically it, um, and very good timing for this because yeah, he's one of the names that is now rumored with that. Uh, with that second Sauber drive uh, we are, that we talked about uh, last week. So, yeah, he's in good position. Uh, I will say shout out to... Uh, well, obviously, Oli Behrman won the race. I would say he was... Um, I don't want to say 4-2. He managed to break away from the rest of the pack a little bit, and that was enough. And then 
yeah, he got the job done. Uh, I find it funny that him and Martins are basically it's one point between those two again, <laughs> which is I think is what is I think is fitting for their season that they're as close as they are because they have had very similar seasons. Um, I will say, um, but Martins was looking fantastic. Um, he got absolutely shafted for two reasons. One, because he was, I think he was in third. Then he got shafted by a safety car, and he had to stack behind poor chair. So that was a four. So the, the of the of the the two cars that are in front of him, one of them was his teammate. So he lost out because of that. And then lost out again with his rear wing being stuck open with a DRS and had to retire. So, so that unfortunate. Could have been OP, it was at the start and then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Very I mean, on edge, I would imagine. It was, yeah. Especially coming out of the uh, parabolic. Then he lost about places and then he got black and the orange what? flag. The, um, the parabolic. No, no, I don't know what that is. You, don't, you only recognize it as the uh, curve aberretto. The 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 what? <laughs> do you want to do you want to throw about it to what you called it, Graham, when it was first introduced? The Machili Abrecial Curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking um, embarrassing. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> so it's, it's, Formula One fan doesn't know how to pronounce Machili. Embarrassing. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was furious because Vartan's actually shafted both ways there. So that was great. Uh, so that was, that was a top three, top three position gone, which would have been interesting. But anyway. Of course, Monza, as he always does. Yeah. Uh, he talked about there was There was a kind of full circle theme for him because obviously he didn't get... Obviously, he lost the title in pretty heartbreaking uh, circumstances last year in F3 to Martins. So, uh, feature... Well, if he wasn't a silly Billy in Bahrain, then that wouldn't have happened. No. But there you go. There's look at, yeah. It was a it was a difficult one, obviously, to take at the time. But he obviously it was great as well for Behrman. He's still in sixth, but should be safe for the likes of Fischer-Palzi and such behind. He can go up and get as much as uh, high as fourth. He's only eight points behind Dewan. Uh, yeah, Dewan. Yeah, the short-lived championship run. Uh, obviously, Zanvoort happened and then didn't get on especially great in uh, Monza with the qualifying. There's a lot of people who didn't get on in qualifying. To be fair, because. Uh, Shambolic. Shambolic stuff, and this is what forced F1, basically. F3 more so, but F2 is, like, in F, basically forced F1 to, to the to the lap delta. Uh, but a lot of people didn't get their runs in. Stanek did, and that's how he ended up as high as he was. But anyway, yeah, doing, yeah. Why did, they knew this was going to happen. Why Why did they not? I don't know. It's the same every year. No one ever why learns. put it in place? Oh, they're not going to do it this year, even though the cars are exactly the same as last year. Yeah. You know, <laughs> come on. Yeah, no one's no one's learned a thing. So there was that. Uh, Iwasa once again gets absolutely bailed out by a safety car on the alternate strategy. So he finished second. Uh, so that was really annoying because uh, he's had, now he's had a better, it happened in Austria as well, where he also finished second chasing the victory. Um, so now he's still in third, 152 points. He's been shite the last three week, race weekends. Uh, between Spa, Zandvoort, and Monza, and he's got he's somehow shafted all these points. He shouldn't be as high up as he is, but anyway, that's that's annoying. But anyway, um, I don't have a whole lot. Oh, sh- um, thankfully, Zay Maloney's okay after getting rear ended by flipping their uh, Ronda Sani down the straight, so that was fun. Yeah, he's got plenty of time to recover. Yeah, well, yeah, literally, because there's all of September, all of October. And we go racing again in Abu Dhabi at the 29th or 28th of November. Yeah. Ridiculous. Just So he's got three quarters and a bit of, of November. 
yeah, it's ridiculous. Like we should, like it's so. Again, we talked about it last week. It's so bad. Just to have the it season be, end here, or it should have its own events. Plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not hard. Either either you end the season of Monza, you have two rounds before Abu Dhabi, be that be that Qatar or whatever, which they, I know they are going to next year. Uh, or or you go to a standalone place, yeah, and, and like you know, and somewhere normally. But anyway, Hockenheim that'd be great. F two would be great around Hockenheim. It'd be fun. Frecker going to Hockenheim to end their season for the first time. Yeah, or just send them to like what other good tracks are in Europe that we don't go to? Mugello, where Frecker also yeah. go. <laughs> Mugello is great, obviously. I'd like to see F two around uh, Istanbul. That'd be good. Yeah, there's, look, there's... there's... It'd be a long lap, actually. It'd be a very long Maybe lap. the Algarve would be fine. Be interesting. Mm. Mm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps two, mm. yeah, maybe. Mm. Anyway, somewhere better than having to wait three months to end the season. But Yeah, and anywhere is better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, I would rather have the season end in two weeks in Portimao than wait three months to end it in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it's not going to matter too much this year like it did last year with Sargent because Porchero have super license points to burn. Vesti will have his, I think, sword. Iwasa is not really important. Doing similar thing as well. Yeah, Iwasa's not in the pitches. He's basically done. It's really, it's really if Martans and like Martans and Behrman jostling for position, and even they've got super license points for enough to spare for their top finishes in F three last year. Yeah, but having more is always good. Yeah, it can never hurt. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, actually, solid segue, because I have nothing else to add in F2, really, uh, other than that. Yay. Yay. Let's talk IndyCar. Uh, I want to start quickly with this uh, Alex Pillow thing. Please talk a little bit more about the about the situation itself. And He's actually spoke. Yes, he's actually spoken. Um, okay. So, it is about to start in 10 minutes, by the way. Yeah, I have it ready here. Uh, the, so, readingformosport.com and Charles Bradley wrote this piece on the uh, on, on Pelo. He's Because Pelo spoke to the media on Wednesday in uh, Pebble Beach, California. So, he basically talked about how his attitude to F1 kind of shifted a bit, given his age and no guarantee of a seat. So, this is what uh, Pelo said. There's no hiding. Like, if you look at my interviews until 2021, I was saying that I was not at all focused on F1. And that was totally true. But things changed when I won the championship just because I was 24. I just won my first big championship, and it was like, what if I try something? It can go sideways, but then I come back to IndyCar, and I'm 27, and I'm still super young, and I can do this for another 15 or 10 years. So then it changed. The door opened a little bit with McLaren. It was amazing. I got to test the F1 cars and also practice one at Cota last year, which was amazing. The opportunity was great, but there is nothing else there saying, oh, you will have a car. At the time, at the same time, if I was 20, maybe I would have waited, but I'm not 20. I'm 26. And on that side, I don't know if there's anybody aged 30 getting into F1. No. So... He went on, so uh, this goes on to say, after claiming the title in Portland on Sunday, when asked by Motorsport.com if he still harbors thoughts of switching to F1 at some point, Pillow replied, no, I said it many times that it was not fully my focus. Then when opportunity came, I felt I had to go for it. At the same time, I know I'm not 21 or 19. I'm already 26, which is good. I'm not saying I'm old, but I mean, I'm not that super young. So next year I'll be 27. 
if an F1 opportunity comes in the future, which is really like small, really small chances, I'll think about it for sure, 100%. But I'm happy, honestly. As long as I keep winning, keep on winning championships and racing and battling for championships, I think I'll have a great career. So, as a Pelot had to say on that, um, what's your over? So, I understand, <laughs> like again, and Piastri being bumped up the order here, I think really shafted them. Yeah, I think he was under the impression that he had a shot at replacing Ricardo if Ricardo got another year. Then that was sort of what he was looking at. And then them moving for Piastri sort of shafted him and Pato from the equation, pretty much. Pato's sort of stuck in that environment because he's not really got anywhere else to go and would be pointless moving anywhere else. Because, yeah, I know McLaren haven't won a race yet in IndyCar this season, even though they might do tonight. I, I doubt it, but it would be... It, I, I can understand his reasonings for sort of putting that that dreams as such to one side and sort of being realistic and saying, right, it's, it's not going to happen. If the opportunity eventually comes round, then I'm going to seriously consider it. But he's basically taken the new garden approach and sort of said, yeah, if it's not happening, I'm not prepared to sit at a back market team and sort of drive around and then have my career ruined and then come back to IndyCar. What's the point? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to have one, it's got to be a top team. It's well, one of the middle points of the grid, at least anyway. So he might as well commit to IndyCar and become an IndyCar legend. So and I fully support that. The, like, what's your cutoff for an F1 offer? Like, is it like is Williams enough of an uh, enticing offer to go no. to F1 to leave IndyCar? No, you, the, the only teams I'm leaving IndyCar for, obviously the big three, mm-hmm. Aston and McLaren. That's it. You wouldn't throw Alpine in that mix? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> Why? Why would you? The the teams in in the absolute shambles of a state. Now, if that team gets taken over by Andretti, then there's a different conversation. Mm. Then I would be, maybe Audi, maybe, but that's a big gamble, which possibly he could take next year if he wins the title again. I th- I think if he wins a, th- a third title in three in, in four years in IndyCar, then. I think someone has to start taking notice in the F1 paddock. You can't have someone dominating that much in a different category and then not even give him a shot mm. to even prove himself like, on the sim or something like that to see where the land lies, especially at Audi when they've got plenty of turnover. And obviously Bottas's contract will be up, I believe, at that point. So again, someone with Polo's experience in would be good to partner with Tao if that's the route they go. The thing with this is, I, th- I think he's gone. I think he's jumped too soon here, and I only say that because this Nor like Norris is not guaranteed to stay at McLaren. Dare I say even Piastri isn't guaranteed to stay past twenty five. Yeah, you do two years at McLaren. Yeah, you may be twenty eight, but I feel like if you're good enough, you know, I think age. Doesn't matter. Doesn't is always a factor, and so is Hamilton. Now I'm not saying Pelot's on that level, but no, no. But he'd be a solid driver, regardless. You could still have five or six really good years in F1 to take you up to your mid thirties, and then you can always go. Like you said, you you can always go back to IndyCar. Yeah, yeah. You will have a good relationship with Benassi. I'm sure they would take him back if it came back to him. They're not going to turn down a multiple champion. If it, if it comes calling, offers yeah. his services, are they? 
if they've got someone very mediocre in the car, particularly Risotto. Um, sorry, I had to throw the shade. <laughs> it, it's just, I understand why he's done it, but like you say, it might be a little bit silly to cut off that move considering all the Norris Red Bull rumours that have really heated up again. Um, that might jump the gun. I think that sort of left the door open for Pato to sort of take that and make that seat his own next year. If anything does happen with Norris and really make Zach question it. But I swear to God, if we get newly announced McLaren driver, um, <laughs> David Malukas in F1, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> No, I don't. As much as I like David Malukas, that would be really annoying. What do you make really, of really. what do you make of the notion that like of his age, so to speak? And like you think about drivers who joined F one not in like it's her in like their later twenties or thirties. Like the best one is what what how old was Damon Hill when he went into F one? Not a clue. The 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 point is like there's not there's... You don't have to join at a young age to be good enough. Well, that's not the point. You join when you're ready. It's, whether that takes 10 years, whether that takes 2 years, or 1 year. When you're ready, you're ready, and you can you can go for it. Like I think he's more than capable, and I'm sure people on the grid think he's more than capable. It's just, I think he's sort of got into his own head about, about it, and sort of happy being stuck in indicator. Yeah, I think he's decided that, you know, he decided that right, they've got Piastri and Norris, nothing's gonna change there for a number of years. Uh, I'm winning I'm winning with the with I'm seeing how McLaren struggle this season and I'm seeing I'm winning with Ganassi very convincingly. I don't think I'm gonna get a chance to go to this to get an F one Z than McLaren. That I I'm 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 better off not burning this bridge with Ganassi and and staying. It's well, I don't know. I think this is a move. I think we could only really judge in three years or so. Yeah. How the thing this is, is the right choice or not? I think he would get noticed more if he made to the switch to McLaren. I yeah. think he would do himself more good. He's won two championships with Ganassi now. If he went and did it with a different team and took that team to the front, I think that would speak more volumes than staying with Ganassi and winning the third title next year to me anyway mm. I would have committed to it and just gone to McLaren anyway as much as it may not look like the place to be right now in IndyCar like I say they haven't won a race but they just haven't looked on it this year and obviously the Rossi thing hasn't worked out Rosenquist is being Rosenquist and up and down could show up one weekend as at the back of the next mm-hmm. Pato he's got a number of P2s yeah just he either through his own mistakes or overdriving the car or the, just the performance not being there hasn't been able to make the most of his opportunities and like I say McLaren have just not been on it so it's, it's disappointing but I can sort of I sort of say to myself mm, if you'd have gone there I think you would have done a lot more good for your own career rather than staying where you are and playing the safe game yeah again it's one step backwards to go two steps forward yeah, this it'll be poor for maybe a year, but you never know. It could be even better for you in the you bigger picture. You might get a McLaren F one seat. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it is funny. Maybe though, not we... even McLaren seat. It, it could be any other team on in the top five. Like most likely McLaren, but, though. Let's be, let's be yeah, more than likely be McLaren. But you would put yourself in the shot window rather than sort of being 
at the back in the at the back of the shop, like he is now. What do you think? Red, how sure... do you think Red Bull feel about it? Um, I don't know. I think he's past their age profile, isn't he? They like young drivers because if he was twenty two, they'd be all over this. All over Terry. Yeah, hundred percent. You can. I can guarantee you, we'll be in an Alpha Terry next year. Hundred percent. But because he's twenty six and keeps pushing that point about his age, it's just not really worked out, has it? Mm. Um, because he'd be a solid driver for Alpha Tower, I think. But obviously, he's not really a place where he would want to be. Yeah, that's a few steps backwards. Yeah, if Red Bull were that hot about Colton Herter, who has been absolutely dog shit this year, but is still somehow second in the Andretti standings, so I don't know fucking how, um, compared to Carco, who actually has won two races and a very inconsistent Roman Grosjean, then um, I don't know. Hmm. This whole Polo thing is funny, though, because he's still technically McLaren's reserve driver, yeah. And there's a piece on the race um, from Jack Benyon on this subject. Um, so asked how the Pelot situation has changed McLaren's F1 plans by the race. Um, Brown, uh, Zach Brown said, he's still our reserve driver. So that's changed but because I don't think he's going to show up in Singapore, which he's obligated to. But we've had a couple of different reserve drivers during the year. So now we're going to have to extend that. Um, yeah. Brown added mm-hmm. that Pelot was, quote, supposed to be with us every race postseason uh, this is post IndyCar, I imagine, as a reserve driver. When asked if he was pretty sure Pelot would not be with the team in Singapore, Brown added with a laugh, "I'm pretty sure." Although then quipped, "We've got his, we've got his hotel room booked." You know, it's a thing. He might actually live up to it. I don't think he will, but it'd be funny if he did. It'd be very awkward, <laughs> and I'm sure Sky would make an absolute big deal about it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think. It'll end up being Djokovic is the reserve driver for McLaren as well. According to Brown, he has, quote, not heard a single word from Polo personally since this all happened, end quote. And when we how disappointing that was, Brown said, it's pretty surprising how it's been handled. There's there's what happened, but then there's also how it's been handled. That's probably as surprising as anything. Uh, Brown claimed his suspicions were first raised by Polo during IndyCar's month of May at Indianapolis, but it wasn't, he said, but that, quote, it wasn't really until Nashville that I kind of confirmed my suspicions. Mm. Uh, do, 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 do. But basically, uh, Pato has been asked about if he'd be driving an F1 car in Barcelona next month. He's going to be doing that. Uh, Pato said, I'll be driving the F1 car at Grand Prix that I left. I'll be going to Mexico, Austin, Vegas, and Abu Dhabi. I'm looking forward to it. So, Pato is going to be getting these FP1, this well, one FP1 session, really, because technically, Oscar Piastri fulfilled half of this criteria back in. Uh, Back in Bahrain. Technically, yes. He's a rookie, and he put took, took place in FP1. So there you go. That's te- and they'd be the same for Sergeant, and that's it. There's only two rookies, aren't they? Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know if that's how it works, but apparently that's how it works. But the thing with the award as well, he doesn't have a super license right now. But if things go, the results go his way in Laguna Seca, that will change. Okay, so what does he need to do? It doesn't actually say what he needs to do in this article, but I imagine a podium... He needs to be better in the championship, yeah. Yeah, so a podium will do the trick, I imagine. But, uh, 
Yeah, so he needs yeah he needs that. So uh, this article says if he does secure a score of super license points, Brown said using the award in the reserve capacity would come down to a decision by Andreas Stella. Which I don't see why he wouldn't, because he's literally the best thing they've got. So, mm. but uh, yeah, um, there you go. Yes. <clears throat> so that'll be interesting. So yeah, so there's that. That was an interesting polo uh, conversation. I thought, but anyway, um, right now you want to talk actually just speaking on McLaren of course they have they did make a formality of the announcement that David Malukas will be driving their third car for 2024 so I'm I'm, on Friday I'm not the biggest fan of it but I just think he's more of an Andretti driver than a McLaren driver yeah anyway I think it hurts more because he's sort of put Callum in the box of he's not going to Andretti the McLaren door which we thought would be more logical has been closed um Unless McLaren decides to add a fourth car, which I very much doubt at this point, considering how this year has gone. Yeah. Um, if they were in a better scenario, then I think they would have, if they'd have won races and been in the championship fight, a fourth car would have been coming. Mm-hmm. 100%. But, yes, but that leaves us on the topic of Andretti. It does. Now, I, I sort of was reminded of this by my friend who sort of said to me that, what's going on with Andretti? And I says, not a lot, really. Nothing's really come of it. And then suddenly we sort of started getting a little few murmurings. Andretti did an entire rebrand across all their teams, if you if you didn't see this on Twitter. Mm. Basically put them all under one umbrella, rather than it being like different subs- subsidiaries. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. And being their own entities. So they're now all, all under the same bracket and what have you. So that's sort of a an indication that something might be coming with regards to news about them being accepted by the FIA as a, a new entrant. Yeah. Obviously, that doesn't mean shit because it obviously is still down to F1, but we, I assume we're going to get news soon that Andretti has been accepted as an entrant. Yeah, and it's obviously, so they obviously changed from Andretti Autosport to Andretti Global is the entity yes. that they have rebranded their operation as and like you said yeah. it's it's going to be accepted by the FIA but of course they, they need to enter a commercial agreement with F1 and on everything that has been reported and written so far up to this point would suggest that's not going to happen um, and again we'll find out for what reason uh, there's no there's no good reason for this to not happen but Anyway, I'm interested to see what um, when again. I'm just gonna be interested to see what happens when F1 teams are asked about it and F1 team personnel are asked about it because obviously it comes down to them. And if the answer is anything other than uh, the answer. If the answer is well, it affects our revenue, then I'm going to call absolute bullshit. Um, oh dear God, what absolutely ridiculous! <laughs> yeah, ridiculous I, I, turn I, one. Yep, yeah, I, I saw that like 30 seconds ago, and I just stopped and. Got. What the hell happened there? I see so oh, many cars oh, out. That's Lungard and Ray Hall. Oh dear. Is that? Oh dear. Ray, they're both in the top ten as well. Ray Hall is not happy with Lungard right now. Oh dear. <laughs> I, I don't see McLaughlin oh, either. It's Vips. It's Vips. It's Vips. Sorry. It's a Vips. Oh, that's a shame. He's actually qualified yeah. in the top ten. I, I saw McLaughlin completely off somewhere as well, so I imagine he's gone down. Oh dear, that's that's uh, yeah. So good, good oh, team camaraderie. They were all they all had really good qualifying as well. Those three, is that New Garden? That is New Garden and all. Yes, yeah, New Garden, Vips, Ray Hall, and uh, VK. 
Oh, geez, Lung Guy's out of the car. That thing. Oh, yeah, front right's knackered. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, he's walking over. Oh, it's so Lungard's unhappy with uh, with Ray Hall, is it? No, it's Ray Hall that's unhappy with Phipps. Oh, that's why it is. I thought I thought Lungard. Yeah. Lungard oh, Lungard's forty five. That's why it is. Yeah, I'm confusing the two. Anyway, uh, do do do. Yeah, I think. Oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> oh, that was. I just watched it back on the replay. That was poor. Who was at fault? Uh, turn one. Just turn one. It, it, it's Ray Hall, actually. He's caused the Constantina effect. But he's mad at Vips. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, dear. Yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, this is fascinating podcasting, I realise, but... Uh, yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, we're talking about award. Yeah. Well, this result... This this, this uh, pilot probably helps him in this regard if he wants to score a super licence. Because uh, I think... Yeah, I don't think he's... I think Lungard's... Well, Lungard will be behind him in the standings. Yeah. Oh, he's lost the back end, and that's what put Newgarden off. Oh dear goodness, that is an absolute mess. <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to see who's at fault. Is that oh, is that Armstrong getting in the mix there? I have no idea. They've all changed colours again. Yeah, I think both young cost cars got tied up in that as well. Yikes. Anyway, uh, what do you think about Andretti? And I think th- the more I listen, the more I think about it, the more I think adding a fourth car. I'm, t- I'm, I'm torn because I think if they added a competent fourth driver, maybe they could make four cars work. At the same time, maybe three cars, knocking down three cars might help them for a season to kind of get back on their mm. feet. Yeah. Um, it would. So I'm kind of torn on that. Um, Rosenquist is now is obviously confirmed to Meyer Shank for next season. We, I think the the consensus is that Grosjean's going to end up back at Dale Coyne. Yeah. So there is that. After that, I think, what's left? Oh, uh, yeah, obviously, Marcus Armstrong got confirmed for... Uh, full-time? Yeah, full-time. So for a multi-year contract as well. So and it has been reported that Eilat has been agreed another deal with Honkos to stay, but it's not official yet. So mm-hmm. there's that one. Um, obviously... The the one that's sort of outland outlanding now is um is where VK goes, but that probably will be shut down if Andretti go down to three cars. Yeah, very much so. Uh so yeah, I think that's all for IndyCar I wanted to talk about. We should probably preview the Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> oh yeah, shit. Yeah. Uh this has been a track in the past where you can upset the established order. We saw that often through the hybrid era in twenty six or through uh, for Mercedes. What do we think? Is there can anyone upset the established order here at Singapore and disrupt Red Bull and stop Verstappen winning eleven wins in a row? Yes. Okay, because I I think it's possible too. Yes, Red Bull are very worried about this. Very worried. Um, about Ferrari actually, which is interesting, because they were sort of saying, well, from articles I've read on Twitter, from I believe it was either I think it was on motorsport dot com. Um, or the race, one of the two. Or race fans. I don't, I don't know half the time anymore. I just sort of click on an article and sort of go for it. But they were sort of saying if Ferrari out-qualify them, then they don't think they'll be able to get back past unless Ferrari cock up the strategy because it's just so hard mm. to make around Singapore. And, like, it, it just doesn't... Singapore's a great track for laps, but 
it's not great for overtaking, but that might change this year with the removal of the right with the the removal of the bridge because of modifications going on in the actual city itself. So they've had to sort of change the track layout for a couple of years to make it work. So we've now got this extra long straight after a long straight. So, well, I say a long straight, a mini straight, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So it might make it a little bit more interesting. And it will shorten the lap quite a lot, actually, and not be as strenuous and not be as clumsy. Which is kind of sad because I enjoyed that section. I enjoy that section too, to be fair. It a lot of chaos when it rained. Oh yeah, <laughs> and just in general, actually, it was it's quite funny. So I'm sad, but I'm I'm kind of hopeful for all we actually get their act together and fucking do something. But I very much doubt it would be possible. Hmm. I actually would have thought that the the team that I had would fancy their chances most here are either Mercedes or Aston Martin. I would tend to agree, but the Ferrari hopeful in me <laughs> says otherwise. But I, I just know it will probably be Mercedes if anybody, because of how good they are on the tyres compared. Maybe Aston Martin as well. Ferrari will not do well around Singapore based on tyre wear, but I could be wrong. Um, Andretti would be the one. Andretti, <laughs> <laughs> Aston Martin, sorry, would um, would be the one I would keep an eye on but it'd be a lot more interesting if they had two cars in play yeah obviously yeah it'd be obviously that's, that dynamic actually changes things quite a bit yeah so but I'm fascinated though because I think we could get some upset results here and yeah I'm just excited to see what way it breaks I really am uh, This I do enjoy the Singapore the Singapore uh, layout it may, we'll see what, if the overtaking improves with that little change but uh, yeah, I'm excited for the prospect. I think there's a good chance that we could see something to upset the established order with uh, with Red Bull. So, yeah, if the, I, if I had to bet, I would bet I would lean towards uh, I would lean towards Aston and Mercedes. But if Ferrari can get their very fine window right, then they are absolutely not to be ruled out. Uh, but the problem yeah. is that it is the car is such a knife edge that you know it would be you know it is going to be. They need to really nail it, and we'll we'll see if what they can do. But I, yeah, very excited for the prospect. Is there anything else in particular looking forward to? Maybe up and down the grids or uh, Williams new livery, the the golf livery. That's right. Yes, the final we get to see that, and actually, I'm very interested to see how they do it this type of track, a street circuit for one, one where you notoriously can't overtake, so they're going to be an absolute pain to overtake if anyone does manage to sort of send it if it's a dry race anyway mm -hmm. which I assume it will be please to god just be a dry race I don't need a uh, another wet race in Singapore that makes makes it go on for like three hours no thanks well I agree last year's race was actually very entertaining for that fact it's it it the most mistakes Verstappen's made in the race in a very long time yes yes but we did we needed that I think at that point um but just really them in, in, is the main one I'm in oh actually Alpine where they can actually sort of get their act together and come back and sort of put the engine deficit shall we say behind them which it, maybe not but this place would be the best place for it but we shall see they could do the good result because obviously this time last year they were, they were a double DNF round around uh, Singapore yeah with reliability <laughs> good old water pump eh yeah, the water pump was the bane of their existence last year. So, 
Yeah, the Williams thing is interesting because they're publicly downplaying it, but it's now. I wonder now how much of that is just managing expectation. We're, we're going to find yeah. out. I guess we're going to find out a good test of how far this Williams has come. Are they going to be at the back, or are they going to need to be in the mix for a Q two appearance at a track like this? Because depending on how they get on at these next few tracks, I think will I think change the narrative and how we view Williams and where and where they are good at because I think we're no longer I think we're moving away we're very close to being able to say they've moved away from just being a one trick pony in that they're only good at at tracks that are power dependent they're very good at those tracks but I think there's a bit more to them now than just that yeah their personality has been opened up to put it in a different sort of light Mm. so this is a good test for them and the tracks that are coming up like Japan etc yeah so that's exciting Uh, to do I just yeah, I want to see the AlphaTauri dynamic evolve and see how that gets on. I have seen rumours that it's Sonoda and Lawson for that seat because they want to an experienced driver in Ricardo. But if you're if Sonoda for whatever reason is being booted out AlphaTauri for Liam Lawson, it's absolutely outrageous. Yeah. So, but I'm just I'm, but I'm fascinated to see how the dynamic continues between those two uh, in terms of like if we didn't really have Sonoda to measure up against last last uh, last week with uh, Lawson, so. Lawson did a good job but we're interested to see how how those two get on uh, again in terms of a measure so I'm inter- interested to see that uh, what else uh, yeah just Alpha May I guess I just want to see I just, if they turn up I guess or I don't know I, I just, just, I'm just curious to see how the Alpha May Haas situation unfolds if there's anything at all to be had there if if it's just if it's if they're just going to be obscure uh, heading into this one, or if there's anything else to come from that, if there's one last late roll of the dice for a point to maybe separate eighth and ninth, maybe. But if we're talking about Haas and Tyrewear, this is not the place for it. No, if you know what I mean. I think the only track they really have a shot of getting themselves points is the last race. Is Maybe Japan, but I, I, I just think all the other tracks will just be notorious for Taiwan. So, has have really got to be on it and be there to maximize the occasion because they need to be in the position that, say, Yuki puts himself in rather than being all over the place like they have been. Mm. Well, this again, there could be opportunities here because this race isn't always straightforward, and of course, Kevin Madison still holds the fastest lap. <laughs> well, uh, well that's going to be blown out of the water this year does, but does that not change now because of the fact that it's a new it's, yeah it's a different layout it's a new layout it's now so like it, it will just stand as a different maybe a different yeah. thing I don't it's know. its own thing mm. yeah it'll have to be because there's like there's significantly less corners now so yeah it surely has to be uh, track, the times will be a lot quicker so it's, it's going to be interesting yeah it's going to be the race not, might not be as long this season because we've chopped about what, five seconds off in quali? And maybe even more, like a lot more now for the race? I'd say 10 seconds. At least. That section, you've got the right-hander, and then you've got the left-hander under the bridge and that acceleration zone. That's a lot of time. Do we think it'll be sub-90 seconds? Yes. I'm talking like mid-25s. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Intr- oh, well, that's gone well, Nugon. Intriguing. Uh, yeah. So, is there anything else you're looking forward to with this this weekend? Any? I'm like, just like I, I love the Singapore 
Singapore, if I want to go to an F1 race, Singapore is the one I want to go to. It's always been the bucket list one for me. It's obviously so, like the it's obviously the original night race. Yeah. Um I I just like this part of the season so much. I do too. So I do good. love flyaways. It is so much fun. Even though I will not like getting up at five AM for Japan, but Singapore is on at two, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> in that sense. Thank God. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, I guess I'm looking forward to I just want to see I guess I want to see the Leclerc science aspect if how Leclerc is getting on with this car, if he's if this is kind of really struggling now or if if he can get back on top of it at all. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll see. I wanna see how science builds on from his strong weekend in Monza. Hmm. So I wanna see that. Yeah. Obviously Perez will be an interesting test here because obviously he won this race uh, twelve months ago. And that was, it was a very good yes. race win, despite having it's two penalties. Notably one of his better drives. Yeah, king of the streets, we'll see. Yeah. We shall see. And outside of that, I mean, yeah, Mercedes will be very interesting, but they've, you know, obviously they got some stuff wrong in Monza. Uh, so I want to see how they, how they kind of bounce back from that in terms of uh, some of the decision-making uh, was a little, a little bit astray, but... But well, yeah, they they think they stand a good chance there. So we'll, I guess we'll be interested. I'd be interested to see if how now Russell has kind of gone back on top of things and looking a bit more like George Russell from last year. Uh, he was convincingly better than Hamilton in Monza. So interesting to see how if that carries on. If you know if we got we have if we have Russell back so to speak because we haven't. It's been a bit of an anonymous season in Paris for Russell. He hasn't quite been hasn't quite been there. But last weekend he looked he looked very strong. Yeah, he did. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds. But outside of that, I don't think I really have a lot else. No, no, me either. So, which leads us then to try and predict a the top five. A Let's top go back to the top five. five. Top five. Okay. So now, <laughs> do we? So I guess the question is: Do we actually think that someone else is going to win the race? <laughs> Red Bull seem to think this is the last big test for them between them winning all races in the season. Yeah, that's the sort of thing they're trying to push, isn't it? Mm. What do you reckon? Who's who's winning this thing? Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz. <laughs> I'm going to lean into the Mercedes angle for this one. Yeah, I, I don't blame you on that one. I'm only saying Sainz because I'm sat in my... Uh, Ferrari Monza hat so <laughs> eagerly awaiting my Monza shirt to arrive mm. uh, I'm going to say Hamilton will win this one yeah if I wasn't going to say science I would have said Hamilton to be fair so I'm fully I fully get that I'm going to say Max second though okay 100%. I'm actually going to give a Mercedes 1-2 here oh piss off yeah no. I'm going to do no. it. Oh, if that comes off, then I'm, I'm not going to be happy. But yeah, I, I see the logic. Um, I'm going to go Landon Norris actually in third. Okay, this would be a big test for them, yeah. Because I think this sort of go back, it goes back to that sort of track for them, so where they would be strong. They ran well here last year too. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm going to say Norris in third. Okay, I will say, Verst uh, yeah, I'll say Verstappen third, and then in fourth place I will give Norris. Yeah, 
I'm going Leclerc. And I'll go Leclerc fifth. I'm going Alonso. Oh yeah, Aston shoot. Ooh. Damn it. I've mixed up. I've mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, this is oh you can mention Alonso. Predictions for what lap Landstroll gives up. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean oh, sixty one laps? Maybe more this year. Maybe seventy because of the time deficit. If it I is sixty one, I'll say you'll want to call it by forty one. And who finishes higher? Yuki or Liam? Yuki. Okay. I agree. I just thought I'd add a little bit more hmm. thing into it, give us a bit more difference. While we're on the t- topic of predictions, predictions for the race winner of this IndyCar Grand Prix, uh, last one of the season. Uh, Pelot's already out in front, isn't he? I know he kind of shot Rosenquist just wide, but yeah. uh, I think, yeah, Pelot will should run away with this one. I'm, I'm going different. Okay. Got... I'm going for Brian Herter. <laughs> He's already a winner, but, though, let's be real. Yeah. That, uh, that livery on Colton's car is very nice. Yes. I do like it. But if somehow one of the McLarens wants to uh, step up into the equation, that'd be fantastic. Well, as we as we say, as we speak, there's three inside the top eight. Yeah. And two it in the top bad. five. So Yes. Who knows, man? Who It'll knows? First, but you know, Polo decided I'm gonna be a prick to McLaren and sort of shove him off the road, but uh, we can always count on willpower to uh to stop oh, him, right? No. no. About that. <laughs> Yes, I, I say that. I said that as he was locking up into the last corner. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Anyway, um, I don't think, don't think I've anything else to add. Really, so I think that's going to do for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Unless you have anything else to uh, to add? No, I don't actually. Surprisingly. Hmm. Very good. So, yep, that's going to do for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. I've been Graham. I've been Renus VK, who lasted all of two minutes yeah fantastic stuff from his one of his best grid slots of the season so well done yeah that's not an oval yeah poor lad wow and uh yeah we shall see you see you next week goodbye <laughs>